All right, guys, welcome back. It is another week of the Walkout Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Lance McCullers Jr. And I'm Carlos Correa, and we got a lot to talk about, brother. We missed out on that last uh, week of the Usman and, and Burns fight. Then we had a great, we had a great weekend of fights. Um, last Saturday was awesome. UFC, so many knockouts. I think there were like 10 knockouts. And then we got a great um, boxing match that we're also going to talk about, man. Yeah, for sure. And if you guys didn't know, we missed last week's podcast because unfortunately, uh, the winter storm came through Houston. Uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of tough times there in Houston. Carlos was still back at home, so he was in the thick of it. No power, no water. Um, so our hearts are still going out to those. Uh, we are still trying to make um, a difference there in Houston, and uh, we just couldn't get it done last week. So we will go back in this episode. We will cover the Usman versus the Burns fight because it was too good not to cover Usman, man. Um, showing why he is deserving of a lot of the respect that he has been getting over this last week. But as Carlos mentioned, amazing fights this last Saturday. We'll get into that and also some awesome fights in the UFC we have coming uh, this Saturday as well. So if you're ready, brother, I'm ready. And I can't wait to get this episode going. I'm ready. I just need to know how you've been feeling during spring training, bro. How's that arm feeling? Oh, yeah. We good, baby. We're good. Body's feeling body's feeling right. Uh, arms feeling perfect. Uh, got my first live uh, here uh, tomorrow. So I'll be facing some hitters for the first time. So as long as I don't hit anybody, that'll be a win for the first time out. <laughs> um, but I know you're feeling good. I saw you swinging the bat, looking good. Uh, everyone's looking good. We, we're looking, everyone's looking sharp. Yeah, everyone's looking great. We're trying to win another championship, brother. But now it's time for some MMA, baby. So let's do it. All right, here we go. Wing number one coming right now. All right, guys, welcome into A number one. And of course, we got to start off with the amazing Derek, the Black Beast Lewis. He was the headliner there with Blades in the fight night this past weekend. And what a statement um, knockout he he put he showed us he put on and he's the 12th knockout of his UFC career that ties a record. It's the 11th UFC um, I believe he holds the, the, the record now for the, um, for the heavyweights as well. So Derek Lewis is just doing his thing for H town. And it was, uh, it was a week where, where Houston needed it. Yeah, it was, it was an impressive performance. And I gotta tell you after that first round, I was kind of scared. I was like, Oh, he's backing, uh, up a little bit. Um, he's getting tagged on the feet against a wrestler. It was not, it was, it was not trending the right way for Derek Lewis, but he had a plan. And he stuck to that plan. And he was trying to land that uppercut whenever Blaze was going to shoot. The first time Blaze uh, had, had a shot was late. I, I think it was late in the first round or the beginning of the second round. And he stuffed it right away. He stuffed it. And then Blaze kept striking. And then, like you said, bro, from far away, he tried to he tried to shoot on Derek Lewis. And they've been working on that. Knees down the middle, uppercuts down the middle. And he caught him clean on the chin. He went down, and then the super necessary with the two of them. It was Hurt's fault. I mean, it was awesome. It was it was an incredible performance all around, obviously, because he came up with the win, but also because he stuck to the plan, and he paid off. Yeah, I mean, it was very it was a very nice uppercut. I, there's no doubt in that. I, I don't know if I would call it a great performance. Um, Derek Lewis was definitely supposed to I – mean, he was the underdog going into this fight, but he was definitely oh, supposed huge. to – a 450 or something like that, but he was definitely supposed to be the one that was going to control the striking in this matchup. And that's, we didn't see that. We saw a very uh, crisp uh, Curtis blaze. We saw, we was mixing up the combos. He was changing levels on him. He was feigning. He was using the kicks. I was very impressed by what I saw by blades in that first round, extremely impressed. And, it did say that he tried to have a takedown there in the first round. I don't really recall that. Uh, the second round, though, after that first minute, he got Lewis a little bit off balance. So his leg kicks were starting to land um, mm-hmm. with, with, with with some with some vicious intent. And I think he felt like he could he could then shoot because the beast is a massive man. He weighs in two sixty three. He cuts to get there, so he's at the he's at the tippy top of the weight you can be. So he's easily walking into fight night mid 270s 280s so uh he had a good game plan he tried to outstrike him he tried to show him he could strike gain his respect and then he tried to go for the takedown and that was the best opportunity in my opinion for blades to get the takedown Derek would have been hurt a little bit he seemed like he was getting a little tired he was fighting off that back foot he was starting to really give a little bit of a dramatic looks to the feints that that blades was giving him and he stuffed it with ease bro so i was like hmm 
no more. Blades ain't going to try that anymore right now. He's winning the stand-up. He's going to stay in the stand-up. And then he, they got to the middle of the octagon, and he went for the most – uh, like it, it was the most telegraphed Telegraph. double leg you could, you could, you could try. And Derek, as you mentioned, stuck to his plan to land the beautiful uppercut. But this was one of those fights that got away from Curtis blaze. I'm happy because I'm a huge Derek Lewis fan, but I got, I got to tell, I got to say what it is and how it is. And I feel like this was a, um, a fortunate win. For Derek Lewis, I'm not going to say lucky because it wasn't luck because he was practicing the uppercut. He was prepared for it, but it was definitely fortunate with the way that Curtis Blades, um, uh, you know, the way he started thinking during the second round. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when you go into that fight, you're like, there's no way Blades going to lose this fight. You know, and the guy's well-rounded. He's going to go out there and probably get an easy win. And then he lands that clean shot to the chin. But like we've, all, we've, we've said before, when you're a great wrestler and a great grappler like Blades is, you open up the striking. The, the, the opponent is too concerned about the takedown. They don't want to get taken down at the beginning of a round and then get laid on top for four minutes. That's going to hurt the scorecard. So they don't want that. So they're too concerned about the takedown. You open up the striking. Blaze was landing. And then he went for a bad takedown, and that's when he got caught. I got to give props to Bob and, and Derek because, you know, when we were training with them, they kept saying, we're going to knock him out. We're going to knock him out. They had a plan. They were working down the middle with the knees, with the kicks, and with the uppercut, and it worked out, man. The plan was not to win rounds. The one, the, the, the plan was to knock him out, and that's what they did, man. Perfect opportunity, perfect timing, perfect plan. Yeah, and I got to say, man, these heavyweights also on this card was Chris Daukus, who is a uh, brother of another uh, UFC fighter, and he really made a statement. He had a great uh, knockout victory against Olenek, the legend of the game. Bro, this heavyweight, uh, this heavyweight guys, they're, they're, they're for real, man. This heavyweight um, division is, is going to be one of the best in the UFC. I think moving forward, you got Steve Bay, of course, at the top and you got Derek Lewis, number two now, but you got to think about John Jones there at the top. Then you have Curtis Blades, who I don't think this loss hurts that much. Um, I think the next fight he gets, whether that be a Rosenstruck, whether that be a, a gain or, uh, um, or his confidence off. though. Or a Volkov, I think, yeah, it probably hurt his confidence a little bit, but I think he can get back in that win column. They got Rosenstruck, Volkov, Overheem, Gain, who's going out this weekend. You have Shamil, you have Augusto Sakai, and Chris Dalkis right there in that top ten, bro. That is a legit top ten. And Chris Dalkis, bro, he's got he's got power in them hands. Yeah, the the guy the guy's the real deal, man. What I saw on Saturday is that the guy is here to stay. That at some point he's gonna be in that top five, and he's gonna be fighting for the bell at some point, man. This guy was well-rounded, got thunder on his hands. I love what I saw, but I got to say, man, you're talking about the heavyweight division. Next Saturday, we get a great heavyweight showdown with uh, strike and, and Siri Gane. Those are guys that, they're monsters. monsters. Gane, a little more technical. Uh, strike is a guy that one punch and you're out. So it's going to be a fun fight to watch. I got to tell you, that card is stacked for next Saturday, but the heavyweights, man, like you said, they are back and they're back to stay. Yeah. So it was a great fight night. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, I don't want to say controversy, but there was a lot of calling out. People really wanted those, really wanted those win bonuses. Um, and we had a very strange situation where uh, one of the fights, one of the fighters literally was in the octagon and his, uh, his opponent actually pulled out um, on him. So it was, it was a very, uh, it was a very crazy um crazy night but it was it was one filled with uh, amazing um KOs we had a uh, we had a beautiful finish um, there in the uh um Tom Espinal had a beautiful uh submission of uh of Andre Olovsky so this car had it all man this was one of those ones that I don't know how many people watched but great night of, great night of fights yeah on paper we're talking on paper it doesn't look great but the car delivered man there were so many finishes and that's what we love to see, man. We tune in to see finishes. Absolutely. So it was a great card. And, uh, you know, big props up to Derek Lewis there in H-Town, bringing home the victory and really submitting himself. I mean, Derek doesn't have anywhere to go now but up. I mean, Derek's not going to be taking a fight. I don't think he should take any fights below. He already went out and took a big risk when he fought Olenek. And now he just took another big risk. And I believe that he's earned um, at least one of the big dogs at the top. So I don't think it's going to be John, but a Stipe, no, sir. 
Uh, if if he loses, uh, Francis, if he loses, or maybe even wait and catch John if he loses. So he's got some options for him. He has some big paydays coming. Um, I'm very happy for him, man. He he worked hard for this. Uh, he worked hard for this fight. Yeah, representing H-Town, baby. Absolutely. All right, guys, we move to inning number two. We're going to talk about Kamara Usman. As we mentioned in the opening, we didn't get a cover at this, uh, this last week, but we want to talk about him and his beautiful performance uh, against Burns. All right, guys, inning number two, we're talking Kamara Usman, the Nigerian nightmare. He put up a beautiful performance against Burns two weekends ago. Uh, Burns also did look very well. I would be remiss not to say uh, what a job he did, especially in that first round and even surviving uh, that second round. Uh, Gilbert is clear-cut one of the top contenders in that division. But uh, Usman was too much, man. Usman was too much. He took his best shots. We saw some of the most crisp striking that we've ever seen out of Usman and one of the best jabs in recent memory. I mean, I was just, I took away and the only thing I could think of was, man, Usman's a bad dude. I don't know if anyone's going to beat him for a long time. Yeah, it's, you know, when you talk about 170, that guy's on a rule for a long time. We talked about it in the podcast, in the last podcast, and we say, there's a guy in the 170 division that can beat Kamaru Usman is Gilbert Burns. He's got the best chance out of everybody to go out there and beat him. He's got everything. He's got the cardio. He's got the power. He's got the technicality. He's got the wrestling, the jiu-jitsu, everything that uh, MMA fighters should have, he has it. And he showed that he's capable of beating Usman in that first round. He just didn't go his way. You know, he went for that. He, he knocked him down. He was not, he dropped him, let's say. He dropped him because he was not scoring knockdown. And then he, he didn't set up his shots. He didn't faint. He went for the high kick. He fell on his ass like uh, like Walt Harris. Harris did. And after that, you know, it was the beginning of the end. Kamaru Usman was able to recover. He landed some nice body shots there that Gilbert didn't like, some nice leg kicks. And then once Gilbert got up, man, he still got some, some, some shots at Usman, man, but that jab was established. And, you know, the first jab he threw, he just stayed right there and Gilbert went right over. But then after that, he was feigning the jab. He was throwing the jab and dugging his head under um, Gilbert's right hand. So he, he adjusted real quick. And that's what champions do, man. When they, when they f- f- face that type of adversity and they go out there and they feel stunned, they make adjustments and they figure out a way to win. And that's what Kamaru Usman did, man. I got to say, he, I, I, I always gave him credit for being the best welterweight in the planet, but he impressed me with that performance. That was something that we'd never seen before from him. You know, getting hurt like that, be able to survive against a power striker, bounce back, knock him out. That was a first for him in the UFC as a champ. So that was pretty impressive to watch. Yeah, I mean, he's starting to clear these guys out. And he really is. And it's starting to, he's starting to put together, I believe it's 13 wins now in the UFC. I mean, listen, I know Tyrone Woodley is on, is, is on a bad skid, but we got to go back. When he fought Tyrone Woodley, Tyrone Woodley was, was in this conversation as one of the best welterweights of all time. He was in this conversation as one of the best champions in the UFC, one of the best pound for pound. I believe he was probably in the top 10 uh, oh, pound yeah. for pound in the UFC. Kamar Usman comes along, ragdolls him for five rounds, ruins this man. Tyrone Willie has never been the same after that fight. Two then he, yeah, two 10-8s. Then he steps up and he goes through guys like Colby Covington. Kobe Covington's a bad man. He's a great fighter. He's got cardio, amazing wrestling. He never, he never takes breaks. His striking is crisp. And, you know, he doesn't have the big, the best power in the world, but he's overwhelming volume. And, and, and Usman was able to, to get a finish in that fight. He goes and fights Jorge Masvidal on short notice on both ends. Masvidal was short notice for Usman, of course. But same thing for Usman. Usman wasn't preparing for, uh, wasn't preparing for Jorge Masvidal, that, that type of elite striker. And he looked beautiful in that fight. One, one by decision, did what he had to do to win, bro. And now he puts this kind of performance up against up against Gilbert Burns, who has been on a tear at the welterweight division. And like we we mentioned last podcast, the cardio, the 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 knockout power, the one shot power, not maybe to black guys out, but to change the course of the fight. He weathered that storm. He didn't want to go on the ground with him. So that means Gilbert Burns' jiu-jitsu is obviously well above top notch and Usman wanted nothing to do with it. So Usman prepared in a camp where he had to stand and trade against a guy who was apparently better in the standing and trading um, realm. And he outstruck mm-hmm. him 
and 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 it, it was beautiful to watch the way he was switching from the southpaw to the to the orthodox to throw the jab with more power to to when it, when Gilbert would try to cut him off with the jab he would just switch he would switch stances and he would use the jab when Gilbert tried to circle away from the jab he would switch and cut him off and kept him right in front of him there was a period of time I was worried for Usman and I thought hey my pick for right my pick for Gilbert's gonna look pretty nice right here. But like you said, man, Usman's ability to adjust, his ability to listen to his corner, Trevor Whitman, you always talk about the coaching, um, keeping him on the, the plan with that jab. It was beautiful, bro. It was a false performance. Other than the, that that one stun, it was a false performance. Yeah, one, one thing that we pointed out in the last podcast also was that he knows how to win. He knows how to win. He's been through the elite of the division. We talked about this. Gilbert Burns, he fought uh, in Maya Maya. He's 40 years old. He fought Woodley. You know, he's been... He's been on a skid lately, but Kamara has been fighting. I mean, when you look at the welterweight division, number one, Colby Covington, done. Gilbert Burns, done. Leon Edwards, done. Jorge Masvidal at four, done. You talk about the Maya Maya, still at eight. Tyron Woody at seven, all of them done. I mean, this guy has been clearing out the welterweight division. He knows how to win. The Maya Maya, he took him on the ground. Nasty Ujitsu, but he felt that was the way for him to win because his striking at the time wasn't as crisp. Now, against Gilbert Burns, he's been training with Trevor Whitman. He's not training anymore uh, in Florida. Trevor Whitman is a striking specialist. That jab was as script as we've ever seen it from Kamaru Usman. From anybody. That was the plan. Yeah, that was the plan. We're going to strike with Gilbert. You, you grappled with him before. He's probably better than you on the mat. So we're going to look for ways to win on the stand-up. And they worked on that jab, that pullback, right, that he was working on the embedded series that we saw. I mean, it was it was perfect, perfect game plan. Beautiful job by Kamaru. He's the welterweight champ, and I don't see anybody beating him right now in that division. Yeah, we give um, <clears throat> we give Israel Adesanya in that camp uh, a lot of credit for the the ability to work in the feints and um, head movement and and really throw his opponents off and 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 set up his striking. But Usman, man, he looked. It was so nice, along with the the leg kicks. He added way more leg kicks his last fight, along with the switching stances and using both the right and the left hand as devastating jabs. Um, the feints were beautiful, and you saw him. Uh, you saw him. You know, he was in the southpaw one time, and he threw up that that right hand like he was going to go for the overhand, and threw the left jab down the middle. You saw another time when he was in southpaw. Uh, I'm sorry, in, in the um, when he was in the uh, orthodox stance, and he. Uh, and he, he had a nice little feint and he got Gilbert to bite on it. And Gilbert threw back a jab and Kamara pulled back and landed that beautiful right like you were talking about. That changed the course of the fight. That was about, mm, give or take, halfway through that second round. Mm-hmm. If that wouldn't have landed, I'm not really sure how this fight would have played out, man. Because, you know, although the jabs were landing in that second round, it was the big right that changed it because Gilbert was still getting his combos off in that second round. It was done. I would really like to see these guys fight again. I don't think it's going to happen right away. There are bigger things in the works that we're going to talk about. But man, these two guys going at it, this these are the matchups you want to see because it brings the absolute best um, out of these guys and, and it gives them the top level. Colby Covington with this striking of Kamar Usman doesn't last more two or three rounds. And I, I, oh, he just doesn't. Yeah, I agree with you. And I got to say, one thing that impressed me the most about Kamaru Usman is that championship mentality. We've seen so many great fighters, so many great fighters since we've been watching the UFC when we were little kids. We've seen so many great fighters crumble on pressure moments. Kamaru Usman, he got stunned by Colby a couple times, managed to win. Got stunned by Gilbert Burns, managed to win. Israel Adesanya got stunned by Kelvin Gastelum, managed to win. John Jones loses first two rounds against Dominic Reyes, finds a way to win. That's a championship mentality. That's how you be. That's how you're champion for a long time. That's how you're a champion for a decade, like John Jones. That's how you win 13 fights in a row, like Kamaru and Israel Adesanya. And that's what I love to see about champions, man. I mean, to be able to battle through all that and still come out on top, that's impressive. Yeah, and um, you know he's he's creeping up there. I mean, the guys he's ro- ro- running through, um, you know, he's going to be in the talk as the welterweight goat. I mean, you have GSP, you have the twelve title defenses. Obviously, it's hard to compare the two because I do feel like the talent pool is better that Usman is facing. But let's face it, you, you it's hard to. Um, do the math like that, right? It's like Babe Ruth is still considered one of the one of the greatest baseball players ever, and we know uh, 
probably was facing dudes throwing like 77. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. I don't know how well uh, Babe Ruth would do in today's game, but he's still considered one of the greatest. And I, I think that um, that's how GSP, I mean, GSP was still fighting relatively not too long ago. He beat Bisping recently, but this Usman beats Habib. This Usman beats GSP. I don't really see what's left for Usman in that 170 division, but I also don't really see where he goes from here unless Israel wins that 205 belt, goes up, and then Usman goes to middleweight. Yeah, he, he already pointed out that he don't want to fight Israel Adesanya. He said he'd rather have um, two Africans with one belt rather than one African with two belts. Uh, those are his words I'm quoting. Um, so he's never going to fight easy. So if easy back, uh, back is that title, then maybe, you know, who, who who's there at 185 that will be number one contender? Robbie Whitaker? Robbie. So Robbie Whitaker versus Kamaru Usman will be a great fight. be a great fight. I mean, we'll be down for that. But until Israel is not down with that division, he's not going to go up and fight him. Yeah, for sure. Is he is he your GOAT already? Or is he or is he working there? You know, um, I'm biased because I love him so much. So I'm just going to say he is just because like I said, hitting crumble to pressure, hitting tap to strikes, if you know what I mean. Um, so the ability to be – to he got rocked twice already in championship fights, and he managed to find a way to win. And for me, the level of competition he's been going through, the way he's been able to do it, I think right now we premature, but a couple three, – two, three more fights, he'll, he'll be a go for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, he he has to get he has to get some more fights. He has to get some more tile defenses. It's just it was too many for GSP. There there was too many. There was twelve of them. Uh, he's just it, you know it, you can't really compare a guy that has three or so to to the twelve. I mean, he's on a historic streak. Um, he has the most consecutive UFC victories with thirteen right now in the UFC. Other guys um, that have had that streak are Matt Holloway, Demetrius Johnson, John Jones, Habib, GSP. The only person that's better than that is uh, is our boy Anderson Silva. So he's on an impressive run. Uh, it, it, you know, it's something. It's kind of like the Habib conversation, right? It's like how do you call Habib the goat over John Jones when he has thirteen, um, you know, fights for the belt? It, it, it's hard to do that when Habib has four total. So I think in time, I think in time, this Usman keeps showing up. He's going to get to that six, seven, eight defenses mm-hmm. against these elite competition. And, and he's going to be able to overtake that GSP stats. How, how, how many defenses do you think he needs to eclipse that? Cause I, I don't see Usman getting 13 defenses at, at welterweight. Like who is he going to fight? He's going to fight all these guys all over again. Like GSP did, you know, fought my Sarah twice. Fought yeah. Pan, fought all these well, guys he fought twice. Sarah twice. Cause he lost. Yeah. So like, you know, GSP fought a lot of guys uh, twice. He fought, you know, the likes of Nick Diaz and, and Hendricks, which I still think to this day he lost. But like you said, you know, you cannot argue that. You cannot argue what? 12 title defenses to three. But at the same time, you're going to see that GSP lost by knockout, tapping the strikes. Usman's never lost in the UFC. Um, there's a lot of things to take into consideration, but I agree. He needs, he needs a couple more title defenses, and he'll be able to to be a lot of people's welterweight goat. Well, I don't think that in today's game, you get guys hanging around that long. I think in today's yeah. game, with, 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 the, with the way the business aspect is, you're going to start seeing super fights before long. You're going to see... And speaking of that, do you think this fight puts Usman on the map? Do you think people now pay attention to Usman? The, the, the card only had about 400,000 buys. So it's not like there was um, millions of eyes um, you know, on, on this matchup. Yeah, you know, obviously the real MMA fans—they're always gonna tune in for Kamaru. Usman. Well, of course. But the guys that you know, the guys that tune in for Connor and Habib and John Jones and Adesanya, I, I think I think Usman might be uh, catching some eyes because this card—it was just him and Gilbert Burns. There was nobody else with a name in that card, and they still managed to sell you know four hundred thousand. Habib uh, sold six hundred and fifty thousand with Gaethje in a card that was great. So I think. Usman is a guy that's going to sell paper, but you just got to match him against the right opponent and put a great card around him. You know, when you put that mass middle um, card and you had Holloway and Bokanovsky mm. in there, you know, it's a 1.3. So if you put the right card around him, I think he's going to be a great, um, you know, uh, pay-per-view king. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that people are, are opening their eyes. I think that this fight is going to do that for a lot of fans out there who maybe weren't all in on Usman. I think that they're, you're, you're, you're going to see him turn around. And um, They used to call him boring. Yeah, uh, that's he's not boring anymore. He's not boring. He's starting to learn how to dress. He's starting to learn how to talk. And he's starting to finish guys. <laughs> and he's starting to finish guys. That's the most important thing. When you start finishing guys with the names like Colby Covington, Gilbert Burns, imagine if he finishes Masvidal. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, we're going to talk about what's next right now, coming up at inning number three, and we're going to speak about some of the names we just mentioned. So we'll, we'll, we'll get our predictions on their future coming right now. All right, guys, inning number three. And if we're started off with, uh, we, we just ended with Usman, I should say. So we'll go ahead and start with them. What is next for Kamar Usman? We've heard Masvidal, we've heard the tough series. Colby is out there, you know, talking about Leon. Um, Usman said Kobe doesn't deserve it yet. So it's, it's getting a little muddy because in, in that top, you know, four guys who you would typically, typically see step up to fight a champion, he's beat all of them. And, uh, he's looking for the other guys to do more, get a shot. Absolutely. If, if you ask me as a, as a, as a hardcore MMA fan, who would I like Kamara Usman to fight next? I will tell you Kobe Covington. Why? Kobe Covington, besides Gilbert Burns is the toughest fight for him right now. Kobe Covington is a guy that was winning three to one in one judge's scorecard in that first fight when Kamaru got the finish. So if you ask me, I would like to see him fight Usman. Now, if we're talking business and we're talking about bringing money to the UFC, you know, getting a good paycheck, if you're Kamaru Usman, you got to fight Jorge Masvidal. And that's why he called him out. You don't see champions calling people out just like that, out of nowhere. And I mean, he called him out. Why? Because he gets pay-per-view shares out of that. They're going to sell probably over 700,000 uh, pay-per-views. So he's going to get a cut of that. It's going to be easy work against Masvidal. No disrespect to him, but we know that Masvidal's skill set is not the one to be Kamaru Usman. So that's a perfect fight for him if you're talking on the business side. Yeah, well, I would say one thing. I would say that Masvidal um, did look very good against Usman for the uh, first round or two in his last fight. He didn't get a full camp. We all know the story. Took the fight on like six days notice, had to cut 20 plus pounds. I was impressed with Masvidal's ability to stuff the takedowns and to get up from the takedowns in his last fight with Usman. Um, I don't think he'll beat him, but I do think that skill-wise, he, he has skill to test him. Uh, he has power. He has, he has good striking. He has good defense on the feet. Uh, so I, I like that matchup still. I want to see that matchup again because I don't think we got the best Jorge Masvidal we've ever seen in that last fight against him. Do I think it's enough to beat Usman, to throne him? I don't. But I would still like to see um, – the best Masvidal, a full camp Masvidal, go up against Usman. And I would also like to see them in the tough series. I would like them to see the ultimate fighter. And as you said, a businessman Usman is, Usman's going to want that paycheck, brother. That paycheck mm. from a tough series, Colby was saying seven figures. So you're talking about seven figures for the tough. You're talking about another easy seven figures for Usman in the championship round. And for Masvidal, who some people thought was a, a journeyman, this makes total sense for him as well. Anytime you get a chance to get a fat check for the tough series or fight against Usman, uh, the champion, you do it. Uh, that's my opinion. Colby did give him his best test, but I believe Usman would, would wash him that right now. I believe that the, the wrestling cannot, you cannot wrestle Usman. If you're Colby, uh, you cannot wrestle Colby. If you're Usman, it's gotta be a standing stand and trade And the way he's switching right now. And the way that jab is firing, bro. I don't think the Colby is going to be able to take it. I don't think he's going to be able to take it. So that's why I like the, the, the Masvidal fight so much because that's the one guy that he has fought as champion that I really feel like can still give him maybe a run for his money. As a fan, you want to watch guys. You want to watch that. You don't want to buy a pay-per-view and you're like, this guy's going to, going to die. This guy's going to get washed. You know, you, you want a little bit of challenge here. I think, I still think Usman, the bigger, taller, longer guy, did good in the first fight with the takedowns, can clean things up in the cardio and the striking, can still have his moments against Usman. So to make to make it clear, you think the guy that got 50-45 has a better chance than the guy that was winning the fight? I think right now. On the second fight? I think right now, bro, because what we saw from Colby the first fight was out striking. We saw him out striking Usman early, and then Usman started pouring it on with the power a little bit late. I don't, I don't think we're going to see any um, Colby outstrike Usman with the way that Colby fights. Colby's a one-two guy. He one-twos him. Mm -hmm. He keeps the pressure. Uh, you know, I just don't, I don't see 
that happening. I, I see Usman as a much more complete striker at this point in his career. Trevor Whitman has done wonders for his career. It's going to extend Usman's career and his and his reign as a uh, as a champion. And and maybe I should be giving more credit to the coaches. The Usman that we're seeing right now, his ability to throw the jab and switch the stance and control the octagon. Um, you know, Colby doesn't fight well going back. He likes to be in your face. He likes to be the pressure fighter. He throw those one twos. And he was kind of overwhelming um, Usman for a period of time. I think that Usman striking is worlds better now than it was even just a year or so ago in that fight. Trevor Whitman has done wonders for his career. It's going to extend his career as champion. It's going to extend his career as a fighter, be able to keep guys off him with that jab because before he would walk guys down, he would keep the pressure on, but he would be absorbing those shots. Now he's walking guys down and he's throwing those jabs from, from switching stances. Guys don't know where it's coming from. So I just think that Masvidal is, is, is a bigger, uh, better striker than Colby. He did a pretty good job on the takedowns in the first fight. So I think it's the, it, it gives me that spark a little bit. It gives me that I still have a guy, I think, who can who can black someone out with a couple combos versus Colby's got to win in decision. And I don't think anyone's going to beat Usman in a decision. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a great point. I just see it in the way that Colby is a natural welterweight. Masvidal is a 155er that just moved up to welterweight a couple of years ago. So when Kamaru, a guy that's going to weigh 205 on fight night, is going to grapple with you, you're a striker, if you're Masvidal, I think that weight is going to be a little too much for Masvidal maybe. But like you said, the power is the ultimate eraser. So when you have power in your hands and your leg kicks like Masvidal does, there is always a chance that you can sleep a guy. So Colby doesn't have that. Like you said, Colby's got to yeah. win a decision. And I don't think Colby's more technical on the feet. And I don't think Colby has the grappling to beat him. So I, I get your point. I think Masvidal has that ultimate race. So that's the power. Well, I don't think Colby's, you know, that much bigger than Masvidal. I mean, Colby, I think Colby could fight at 155. I think Colby could get down and cut. I don't think he cuts yeah, much he weight to get to, to get to 170. I think that Masvidal was cutting a lot of weight get to 155 and it was affecting his career. So then he said, Hey, I'm going to stop, you know, I'm going to stop cutting this weight. I'm going to train and eat a little different, you know, bulk up a little bit. So I think at welterweight, I, I don't think Masvidal is that much smaller than Colby, but anybody in there against Usman is going to have a hard time with the weight mm -hmm. natural 170 or, or, or not. I mean, he's just too big. Yeah. Yeah. It's just with Colby. He's got a strike with Masvidal. He's got a grapple. So that weight makes a little more difference when you grapple. Yeah. But either fight, bro, I take it. I mean, I love either fight. I would like to see Colby versus uh, Masvidal during the tough series. Honestly, that would be my number one preference. But a Usman versus Masvidal tough would be cool. He probably will have to fight them both anyways at some point because you're going to fight Masvidal now and Colby beats whoever he's going to fight. They're going to he's going to face him anyways. Do you think Colby should have fought Leon? 100 percent. 100 percent. I mean, I think Colby. You know, I've seen we don't have that much data on Leon because yeah, we saw him against RDA. RDA is super small for welterweight. We saw him against yeah. Gunnar Nelson. You know, Gunnar Nelson is not even on the map anymore. So that those are his last two fights. So we don't have that much data against elite competition like we do with Kobe. So on paper, it looks like Kobe will whoop that ass easily on paper for me. You know, that's yeah, Leon. Leon has a Leon has a very hard time with grapplers. I'm very intrigued and very kind of scratching my head why Kobe wouldn't jump at that yeah, fight. Two years Brother, off, two years later. Kobe, oh, bro, you get in there with him. You, if you want to stand, it, Leon ain't knocking you out. Take him to the ground, ride him for 15, 25 minutes, ground and pound, win by decision. Maybe you get a finish on the ground. And now you have even a better claim for, for, for the rematch. It would have been an easy money for Kobe, in my opinion. Yeah. And now it just looks like you know, it was easy for him. That was a fight he should have taken. I agree with what um, with what uh, Usman said about that. He said that Kobe should have taken that fight, and uh, I hundred percent agree because it would have been easy. It would have been easy, easy for easy, easy money for for Kobe. Yeah, I said, you know, Leon Edwards is gonna fight Belal, and you know, I got nothing against Muhammad. I think he's a great, he's a great fighter, but um, I don't think he's quite at that level yet. So we still won't get that data that we need against elite competition. But I guess we'll see more of his new arsenal. Since he's been two years out, he said he he, he learned some new tricks, um, and he's gonna show them come March. So we'll see what happens. 
Yeah. We'll see. It'll be good to see him fight regardless. Yeah. The Black Beast, we touched on this a little bit. Who should his next fight be against? If Give me one if you're going to say he should fight before those that trio at the top fight. And then give me one if you're going to say he's going to wait for a year to go by. Well, I think the fight is... He's 36. Yeah. He's 36. Yeah, I, I think if, I, if I'm his agent, I want him to fight the loser of Stipe and Engano. He said he wants to fight Overeem. And I think he's super smart. He feels like he can beat Overeem. He collects a paycheck. And then he's still... That's a name. He's still back. He's still back in the title picture after beating Overeem. So I think that's super smart. It's an extra paycheck. Who says no to an extra paycheck, especially when you feel you can beat that guy? Colby. Yeah, Colby. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I, I, think that's I like what you said. Yeah, like you said, I 100% agree. I think that the play for him, in my opinion, the play for him is to just chill. I think that he still has holes in his game. He's still... Listen, brother, I mean, I, I know he does a lot of work, but I still feel like the cardio could be an issue over a 25-minute um, fight. Uh, I, you know, Curtis Blades is still getting the better of him in, in the stand-up, so I would really just keep training, 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 take some time off, get back in the gym, um, you know, and then I would just I would fight the loser, the loser Stipe and Francis. You have really nothing to lose at that fight. I think he's risked it two times now. Mm-hmm. He's risked getting buried in this heavyweight, um, you know, this heavyweight rankings, because there's a lot of them now, this is a deep division with those fights that he's taken. So I really believe that he deserves just to fight guys above him, and there's not that many to fight. But if I'm his agent, the one fight I am never taking is a Rosenstruck or a um, or a Gain, depending on who wins this fight. Because if, if Gain wins this fight, he's going to move up to, four, to three or four. He's going to be sitting there right behind the Black Beast, and you're not going to want to fight with someone who can strike like he can if you had a hard time with Blades. So Lewis can fight Overheem. That's fine. That's a name. Um, Overheem still possesses the you know still possesses um, some high fight IQ and the ability to beat you. But that would be a, a safer bet to collect a paycheck if you're if you're wanting to fight before you get one of those guys at the top. Yeah, and Overheem won't shoot after what he saw happen to his teammate. I guarantee you, no, he's not going to so. shoot. Curtis Blades is so. his teammate. He's the one that's been helping him with the grappling. He ain't going to shoot after what he saw. So if you strike with Lewis, no. you're taking a risk. Curtis Blades, who should he fight next? Curtis Blades needs to take at least, at least nine months off, brother. I mean, we've seen it throughout the history of combat sports. Whenever you get black like that, you're never the same. You know, you saw, you saw Manny Pacquiao. He was on... He was on a tear when Manuel, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez put him down, and he was never the same. He was never the same after that fight. You saw um, back in the day, Fernando Vargas, he got KO'd by my boy Felixito Trinidad. He was never the same. So we've seen it through the history of sport. He needs to take some time, you know, work in the gym a little bit, spar a little bit, get that confidence back, bro, because what happened to him last Saturday is not something you overcome right away. And I got to tell you, now that we're talking about that, the phone call that he got, I don't know who he was, bro. That, that, that was terrible. I saw that video where somebody called him. Um, somebody had his number. They FaceTimed him. He answered the phone and they said, you got fucking black. You got fucking. He's like, who's this? And he's like, you got black. And then his fiance now, she was like, shut up, you bitch. Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it's there's some bad people out there. You never make fun of a guy that just came up a knocker like that straight to his face. So um, I don't know, man. I don't know what's next for him, Lance, because honestly, I don't see him fighting anytime soon. You cannot fight anytime soon after that. So how yeah, are the I, I, of the heavyweight division is throughout that break that he's going to take? Then we'll see. But right now, I cannot give you an opponent. Yeah, I mean, Curtis played, you're right, bro. He, need, he needs to take some time. Uh, this is one of those ones that you, you know the chin, the chin is gonna be is gonna be a little bit a little bit glassy for a while. You don't want to come back too soon. Uh, Tony Ferguson was the guy we talked about this. Take a year plus. Curtis Blades has been fighting. He's been a lot of great guys. His ranking is really not going to go anywhere. Sure, maybe a guy or two will will slide ahead of you. But if you're in that top five, bro, you're one big fight away. And and if your if your goal is to be the champion, it's going to be a year until that picture is unmuddy. Because if Stipe loses, Stipe is going to want to 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 get into the crack at it. Then you got Ngannou. Then you have Derek Lewis now in there, and of course you have John Jones. There's four guys who are 
really ahead of you. And then if, if Rosenstruck um, has a great, um, has a great fight versus gain, um, he'll be in the mix. And if gain has a great fight and knocks out Rosenstruck, he's going to be in the mix. So take your time, take your time, bro. He doesn't need to come back right away. He's been winning, you know, the, the bank accounts probably looking solid right now. You don't need to do anything crazy. Um, and, but if he does come back, Anytime soon, I would try to take Derek Lewis's thunder, and I would try to fight over him. Oh, <laughs> that was what I would try to do. Yeah, that would be, be a fight. He, they're teammates now, so I don't see how they fight. But I gotta say, I wouldn't fight Volkov. Oh, you could fight Volkov. You could fight Volkov. Yeah, Volkov's a good one. That's who you could fight. Again. Yeah, real. Yeah. I gotta for the people listening to us right now that say, "Oh, he already got KO by Engano." You know, when you look at that second fight against Engano, he got KO, but he was still looking for that single leg. You know, when he got KO, he was still looking for that single leg, got, got some ground and pound, and eventually the referee stopped the fight. This is not the same type of knockout. He was black, stiff, and then he got two punches, yep. and the second punch lifted his head off the canvas. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a different he, type of knockout. Yeah, you had the he went stiff. His head hit the his head hit the canvas uh, while he was stiff. Then Derek dropped two clean bombs on him. One was like a g- glancing blow. The other one was clean as day. And you saw what the first clean one did. So the trauma that 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 he took, it's going to take time to overcome that. It's like if you're a pitcher and you get a ball off the head, you're going to be gun shy for a while. You're 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 going to want to take some time and. Um, you know, he, he needs some time. But our last one here, I'm going to throw one at you. I probably thought of Chris Daukis. Chris Daukis mm. is putting together an impressive resume. He's putting together an impressive resume coming off a great win against Olenek. I, I believe I heard someone say he's a black belt jiu-jitsu. He's 11-3 overall. Most of these wins coming via knockout. This guy, 10 knockouts, brother. 10 knockouts in his career. He's someone that my father-in-law, that as you know him from your conversation with the boxing, he tells me, look out for this guy. And he's usually right. Bro, I, uh, it's probably going to sound like we're cherry-picking this guy, but Overeem is the right guy for him, bro. Poor <laughs> <laughs> Alistair. <laughs> I mean, if, if you, you know, it's a guy with a name. We already said this. He's ranked number six right now in the heavier division. You're at 10. You beat this guy, you replace that number, and then you're ready for the top five. And it's a fight that you actually feel like you might win. You know, no disrespect to yep. Alice there. He's a, he's a legend of the sport. But he's a little shy when guys have power. And when guys, you know, be sleeping people, he's always backing backing up. So, you know, that's a fight to make. Also, you know, you got Augusto Sakai that just got, you know, he lost to, um, to Overeem. That's a good fight. He's number nine. Um, it's, it, you don't climb the rankings that much, but your name will be on the map. So, you know, he's got options, right. bro. This guy is great. Yeah, if I was him, I'd be calling for the loser of uh, Rosenstruck versus Gain. I think that would be a good one. They're going to they're gonna slide down. If Rosenstruck loses, he's going to slide down to that 5-6 to that area. And if Gain, if, if Gain loses, he'll, he'll, kinda, he'll pretty much remain at seven. Mm-hmm. So that could be a good one. Alistair, this is what happens, bro. This is what happens when you're a name and you've been around forever and a win against you gives you um, it gives you validation. It gives you it, people say, oh, he beat, he beat Alistair Overheem. That's what it does. So we're not picking on Alistair. I mean, he's a great fighter, bro. And uh, I don't know how many fights got left in him. He, and he said that you know publicly. But w- w- when you're when you're the gatekeeper. And you're ranked five, six, and you're a legend in the sport like that. Everyone's gonna want you. Guys above you are gonna want you, and guys below you. I mean, yeah, Kevin Lee's calling out Tony now. Everyone's gonna want you because it gives you it gives you that name on the resume. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys, scene number four coming right now. We're talking UFC Fight Night. It is gonna be a good card. We'll break it down for you coming up next. All right, guys, welcome to A number four. And as I mentioned, we're talking UFC Fight Night, baby. These fights are for free if you are even a smidgen of a UFC mixed martial arts fan or a combat sports fan. You should be watching these fights on ESPN, uh, ESPN+. Plus. The main event, we've talked about it, is Rosenstruck versus Gain. We have Nikita Krolov going up against, oh, man, take that name for me. Oh, Magomed? Ma- Ma- Magomed, Magomed, and Kalaev. 
that is going to be an amazing bout. Uh, Krolov, as you guys remember, he's one of the guys that I was talking about Polish power when I was talking about Jan Blakowicz and why I believed in him so much. Nikita Krolov gave him about as much as he could handle. So uh, he's a hell of a fighter. We have De La Rosa versus Silva. We have Pedro Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera. That is going to be a barn burner potential fight of the night right there. And you have Angela Hill, who's coming off of a couple losses, but she's been looking amazing versus uh, Ashley Yoder and Alex, uh, Caceres versus Kevin Kroom. That's going to be a nice little featherweight bout. This is a good card. This is a really good card. The UFC did a good job with this one. Yeah, the UFC did a great job. And when you talk about fight nights, you usually expect the main event to just be the only good fight. Um, and it's usually, it's usually a pretty good fight. But this 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 one is stacked, bro. You get Jimmy Rivera versus Pedro Munoz. The bantamweights, bro, they're hot. The top 15 of the bantamweights is legit. It's elite. So you get that fight. You get, obviously, the main event. You know, Jairzinho, he's a, he's a beast. We've seen him. He's only lost to... Um, Engano. Everybody loses to Engano. Um, it's okay. Yeah, you got Nikita Krylov. You know, you talked about him. He's an animal. He's a monster. And then you got Ankalaev. He, he ends with a V. We talked about this guy. that end with a V. <laughs> they barely, be careful. They barely, they barely lose, careful. brother. So it's going to be a great card. You're going to be here. We're going to be here in spring training watching this card and then Canelo. So it's, it's going to be a fun Saturday night, bro. I got to tell you, I'm excited about this one. Yeah, and then guys, don't forget the main event of the prelims is Alexander the Great versus Tiago Moses. That is going to be a heck of a fight as well. I mean, I'm really looking forward say, to this. I gotta say, Alexander Alex the Great Hernandez, not Volkanovski, because <laughs> there's still Alex say Volkanovski. The Great. No, there's still Alex the Great oh. that you see. Yeah, I'm sure it's Hernandez, not the same. Well, uh, Alex the Great Hernandez should probably drop that. Yeah. Because um, ever, you know, he showed up to the UFC with a lot of hype. Um, he's starting, he looked much better his last fight. You guys say look, he looks much better, but um, this is a tough fight he's got. Bro, I'm excited for this Pedro Munoz Jimmy Rivera matchup. Uh, Jimmy Rivera, he fought a couple months ago at Fight Island. Uh, he looked really good and he was unhappy with his performance. He said, No, I, you know, this wasn't my fight. And we're sitting there kind of saying, I don't know, bro. I mean, Agreed. you look pretty good, bro. You look pretty good. And then, um, you know, Pedro Munoz is a, you know, he's a, he's a UFC staple. So this is going to be the fight at 135. I'm really looking forward to seeing. And 135, you know, other than those guys who kind of top out at the top there, it's wide open, bro. I mean, these guys can make, can make a name for themselves. Of course, you have, you have Cody Garbrandt that wants to come back. You have, um, you have, um, uh, from the, from the, you have no chin, uh, Cody Garbrandt. I mentioned, uh, TJ Dillashaw, who I was searching for. You have TJ Dillashaw, who's coming back. He's got to fight here pretty soon. He's ready, brother. He looks ripped. And, and he's been training nonstop. So this 135 division, bro, this bantamweight division is something is something really, really fun that, that's going on right now. Yeah, and they're, they're pretty active. You know, that's what you want in a division. You want people to be active. The champ is about to fight. Um, Aljo, you got Corey Sandhagen fighting twice in the span of, what, four or five months? putting people to sleep. You got Jose Aldo, who's a legend of the game. You got Cody Garbrandt, who's got the name and just came off a great knockout. That, that, that division, bro, is exciting. And these guys are ninjas. These guys move fast. These guys, they go for the finish. And, man, I'm excited. This, this is going to be a great fight. Yeah, Pedro Munoz needs a win here, bro. Pedro, yeah. Pedro Munoz is coming off. Um, he had that big Cody Garbrandt knockout there in the first round. Um, of course, you guys, I'm sure you guys remember that. But then he lost to uh, he lost to Aljamain Sterling by decision, yeah. and then he lost to uh, Frank Yeager by split decision. So he has fought some of the some of the top guys in this division, and he's you know, and Jimmy Rivera has as well, bro. Jimmy Rivera has fought everybody. And in this in this one thirty five division, so I'm excited for this man. This is gonna be uh, I'm, t- I'm I'm thinking this could be this could be fire of the night. Yeah, I agree. I agree. When you get two bantamweights that are as elite as they are, you get that type of fight. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. Like I said, I mentioned it. Can't say it enough. It is free. You guys get on that ESPN app. You guys make sure you start catching these fights. It's an easy way to fall in love with the fight game because they're coming at us every single weekend. And in number five, we're going to switch over right now. We're going to talk about boxing. We are going to talk about Valdez versus Brochelle and the amazing performance we saw this past Saturday night. Any number five, and here we go. We're talking about the 
already knockout of the year in boxing. Oscar Valdez puts on a masterclass against one of the best boxers out there, Miguel Burchell. It was it was gorgeous. The whole fight was back and forth. Uh, Valdez came on early. He had an amazing fourth round, 10-8 fourth round, almost finished Burchell super early. Burchell rallies, and then, of course, we had what is probably going to be the knockout of the year. If it's not the knockout of the year, it will be mine regardless. The footwork, the setup, man, Valdez fought a uh, fought a flawless, beautiful fight. Yeah, it, it was it was a beautiful performance by Valdez, given given all the circumstances. When you put everything into perspective, you know, Burchell defended the title six times in the division. Um, Valdez comes from 126 and goes up to 130, and he goes fight the bigger guy that waited, waited in at 148 on fight night. And he goes, he night, goes yeah. out there, man, and he has the perfect game plan. You know, he, he gets down low. He starts jabbing his way in. He started mixing that jab with the with the lead hook. And, man, I got to tell you, that's one of the fastest jabs I've seen in a long time. I mean, that, that thing was crisp. It was great. It reminded me of kind of like Ryan Garcia type of type of jab. And it was quick, powerful. It, you know, uh, Burchell was bleeding by the third round just by straight jabs. Um, it was a, it was a beautiful performance, and I gotta tell you, um, the thing that impressed me the most about Valdez was the ability to be able to escape the tough spots in that fight. You know, he got tired at some point when he went for the finish in the fourth round, and the fifth round, Burchell was coming back, putting the pressure on him. He was a little tired. He was doing the Floyd Mayweather. He was jabbing. He was working his way in, gra- grabbing um, or hugging um, Burchell to get a breather. He did that for two rounds, recovered, then went back, got the finish, man. The IQ that he displayed, he showed me that the guy knows what he's doing. The, he's super smart. He's a veteran of the game. And, man, that's that's one thing you cannot teach. Yeah, I mean, the the his ability to, to use that jab, uh, he was so low. He was so low. And what I loved about the jab, bro, is he was kind of leading with that elbow. So what he was doing was he was, he, you know, he, he was down low, down low. He would kind of, he would kind of pop left, pop that elbow up, throw the straight jab. Then he would do the same thing. He would go left, pop that elbow up. And as he was going for the jab, he would, he would bring it. He would kind of bring it around the glove to the back ear with a little hook. I mean, it was gorgeous. And then later in the fight, after he was escaping, um, Burchell's kind of a little bit, a little bit of momentum, a little bit of an onslaught. He started switching stances. He started switching stances. He started throwing the right, the right uh, jab, the right uppercut, the right um, hooks as well. So, what I saw out of Valdez, I'm not the biggest boxing guy, but I love fighting. And I saw a guy who was able to move, keep his cardio up, take a punch because Burchell started landing some some big body shots on him, bro. Mm-hmm. I mean, ones where he started dropping those hands. So he was taking the punches. The IQ you mentioned, being able to to work on the wrap, you know, to get the wrap ups and 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 to take a moment. And also, he even was faking some wrap ups and then throwing some combos. So, bro, his ability to just put everything together in that fight was beautiful. I would love to see a unification bout against Tank Davis. It's never going to happen, never in, in, a, in a million years. I think Tank happen. Davis has the WBA belt or something like that. Um, you know, but I guess that Davis isn't fighting on uh, PBC guys. But regardless, man, this dude is a is a force. He's going to be capped with what he can do in the weight classes. I don't know how much how much more he can go up. It's going to be tough on him. He's a smaller guy. But, man, I'm excited to watch this kid's future. Man, this kid, bro, he, he did the right thing. You know, after the fight, great knockout. He called out the prospect that he's talking about. He said, I want Chakur Stevenson. I heard you want to fight. Let's yep. do it. That's a smart call out, man. Chakur Stevenson, he doesn't hold any belts. But this guy is a prospect that's coming with a lot of hype. And he's really good. The guy's really good. He's trying to get him young, which is smart. You know, you beat him, beat a guy with a name, with a lot of potential. Then you might move up to the 135 division. In my opinion, the 135 division is one of the best divisions in boxing. You got Teofimo Lopez, you got Ryan Garcia, you got Tank Davis that you mentioned, you got David Heaney at 135, and you got Vasily Lomachenko. Any of those fights make sense if, if you're him. You know, it's not like, you know, the UFC is every 10 pounds and then you jump 15 at 170 and then 15, 185, and then you jump all the way to 205. Boxing is five pounds. I mean, he can mm-hmm. go up and fight these guys. After a couple of defenses at 130, of course, because still he needs some work in there. There's guys in there that, that are good matchups for him. 
But after that, after he gets that work done, man, the 135 division is waiting for this guy. And, yeah, he's small, but, man, the talent is there. Kind of a small, too, for 168, for 175. And he's still going out there, yeah. putting people to sleep and yeah. working that jab. So I don't see why he will not go up to 135 and fight the best of the best. Yeah, I mean Canelo was on the was on that weird meat program for a couple of years, I think. So uh, I think it helps. I think it helped the frame develop for for the one sixty plusers. I mean, you know, Valdez did move up when Stevenson was made his mandatory challenger from one twenty six. So uh, you want that fight to happen at one twenty six, or you or, or do you want to fight it? You want to see um, at, at at this last weight class? I don't, I don't want to see him go back to one twenty six. Um, Burchell was the best one thirty pounder in the world. Coming into this fight, champ yep. defended the belts, ranked number one on everybody's list. He beat him, and he made it look good. He made it look great with that knockout. And if, if, if you only saw the clip, you should go back and watch the fight and see the way he set everything up to get to that moment. I mean, it was beautiful. So I think he should stay in that division, rule that division for a little bit, and when it's time to sell pay-per-views, the 135 division is waiting for him. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, of course, on this card, we also had Broner on this card uh, versus David Avancian, maybe. Um, he got the he got the decision win. Uh, what can we say? Yeah, I mean, you know, Broner, I, I watched the fight, and, you know, he fought on Showtime, and it, it was a good fight. It was a good fight. He was, he was, it was, it was okay. It was okay. But, man, he landed, like, 80 shots, and the other guy landed, like, 200. And I don't know how these scorecards went his way, but you know how boxing tends to take care of business sometimes, and Broner's yeah, name yeah, and with I, a loud mouth. Yeah. yeah, and I apologize. He actually beat uh, Santiago, so that, that was my fault. That was two years out of the ring. Uh, he beat Santiago. I mean, he was outstruck by over 100, 100 punches. Uh, and then after the fight – he said that he only had $13 in his bank account coming into the fight and he was leaving with 13 million. And the guy asked him if he had learned anything along the way. And he said he was going to spend the weekend cashing checks, popping bottles and having sex. So I guess, I guess he hasn't learned anything along the way Man, dude, the guy's because Jesus. <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> oh my That's, god he's just a clown he's just a clown he's a clown yeah i mean the guy is not smart let's just put it that way he's got the yeah he's, he's got the the most talent out of anybody in in boxing probably and you know he he just he's not taking advantage of that yeah he is uh he is definitely pretty much wasted it away along with uh, most of the money he has made. All right, guys, that is it for a number five, a number six. We're going to stay on the boxing. We're going to talk about Canelo. He's got a, uh, he's got a fight this week. I'm not going to call it a big fight, but he's got a fight this weekend. Carlos and I will break that down for you a little bit next. Here we go. A number six and Canelo Alvarez, the mystery meat man himself is fighting this weekend. He's not fighting the best opponent around, but anytime Canelo Alvarez fights, you're going to want to tune in. Yeah, absolutely. Let me fix that intro for you. Canelo Alvarez, <laughs> the number one pound-for-pound pound boxer in the world. A guy that's going to fight um, a mandatory uh, this weekend. You know, A lot of people don't get excited about that, and they say, oh, what's Canelo fighting this guy? Well, if he doesn't fight this guy, he loses the belt. He loses mandatory. Yeah, yeah so it's the mandatory. You don't want to just give up your belts that you worked your entire life to get. Just because you don't want to fight a guy that you should, you know, dust him off in what four or five rounds, maybe. So you know, it's a fight. We get to see Canelo back in action. We get to see him. It's always the Canelo show when he's in the ring. You know, you're gonna see some great defense. You're gonna see some great jabs and some power shots to the body. So I'm excited because Canelo's gonna fight, and we're gonna see greatness in the ring, um, regardless of who the opponent is. And after that fight, he will eventually fight somebody that's great, uh, Billy Joe Sanders or Caleb Plant. Or maybe a, a birth to beef. So we'll see. But this fight is just, it's just, it's just a mandatory. But we get to see greatness in, in, in the ring. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. He's a minus 5,000 favorite. Oh, my God. He is a minus 5,000 favorite. His opponent, uh, Yoderum, hasn't uh, fought in two years, coming off back-to-back losses. Um, but he's a mandatory. That, and that's how it goes. And he's got to fight him. But um, I'm expecting I'm – expecting 
a really world-class performance. I'm expecting to see just – it's a standard Canelo. You see world-class performances almost every time this guy fights, but I'm looking to see something really special this Saturday. I don't I don't want to wait 8, 9, 10, 12 rounds uh, for, for a nice finish. I want to see a nice quick quick night, four rounds. Uh, so that's, and I, I want to see something nice, something special. What do you call Body shot knockout or straight through the chin no. music? Straight, straight to the chin music, baby. He's going to be aware of the body. You know, he's not going to be moving as well. His hands are going to be maybe a little bit down or he could be shielded up. Who knows? But I want to see, I want to see a clean, I want to see a clean chin. Wait a minute. We didn't get to talk about this. Burchell's corner in the last, in this last fight, do you think that they underrepresented their fighter? Because the, 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 the amount of damage that we saw Burchell take was was a scary amount of damage. This is damage that that takes years off your life. Yeah, um, it's great that you bring that because a lot of people were saying, "Oh, the referee or the corner this and that." It has nothing to do with the referee. When a guy is a champion, nothing. When a guy is the number one ranked fighter in the division, when a guy has defended his belts six times in a row, you give him the benefit of the doubt and you let him go on his shield. Now, on the other side, if you're the corner, you're seeing he's not going to win this fight. His legs are gone. He's got no power. He needs a knockout to win the fight, and that's not coming because his legs are not there. He was wobbly late in that ninth round. So you should not let him go out there. You got to take care of your fighter. You got to let him live for to see another day, to be able to go back in the gym, get better, and hopefully get that rematch. But no, they let him out to dry, man, and – a great knockout came in, bro. I, I, I do think the corner let, let them out to dry. Yeah. Um, one of the things that it made me feel a little sick, a little sick to my stomach. I had a weird feeling about it because, you know, after the fight, we were on Twitter and, we're, you know, we're talking about the fight and, and all this stuff. And I, I, made a, I made a mention that I said um, I thought the fight should have been stopped. After that Ninth round, I believe you could see the fight was over. Mm-hmm. It was either going to finish in a in, in a knockout or was going to finish in a unanimous decision for Valdez. Brichel, um he he caught some momentum there in the in the in the sixth, seventh, and maybe sixth, seventh round, maybe even eighth round. But at, in that ninth round, he was getting smoked. He was he was wobbly again. He had nothing. He had nothing going forward, and and the corner did not protect their fighter. And I said that on Twitter. I said the amount of damage was adding up way too fast, and it was way too violent. And someone said, from the corner, you could hear Burchell say, "Yavayo Verga." Yeah, which basically translates to like, "This shit's over. I'm done. Yeah. I'm screwed." Any of those that you want. So if 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 Brichel really said that to his corner, and the corner continue to send him out there, um, I hope he fires the whole corner. Yeah, I mean, it was a scary scene, brother. It was a scary scene. I legitimately thought for a second, I thought he may be dead. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I, I'm okay with that. And I mean, a lot of people they want to be loyal to the people that got you there, but in boxing, it gets to the point where your trainer can get you so far. And he cannot make you any better because that's all he knows. And that's when you made the transition to another. We've seen it with Pacquiao. He ended up with Freddie Roach. Even Mayweather, he was, you know, with his uncle. And when his uncle was out, he was with his father. And he was getting that knowledge from both of those guys. Um, so, yeah. You know. We've seen it at UFC. Look how much better Habib was when he when he went over to fight at AKA. I mean, if Habib Usman. doesn't make that transition, brother, if Habib doesn't make that transition, yeah. transition to AKA, we don't talk about Habib. Nope. Usman? Now with Trevor Whitman, he's striking. Yeah. I mean, we see it all the time. So it's it's okay to change your corner, especially when they then you have your back like that. Yeah, I needed to say that though because we talked about it that night. We were saying in the ninth round, we got to stop this fight. The ref was even the ref even came over to the corner and said, "Hey, if I don't see something out of you, I'm going to stop this fight." And when the ref, as you mentioned, this is not the ref's call. The ref is there. You cannot pull the plug on that fight when you're talking about the type of fighter with the with the um the resume that Burchell has that was on his corner. And it seemed like he wanted that fight stopped the, the scene of his wife looking at him where they could not get him responsive was, was tough. And I, I hope that that gets cleaned up because not only is he never going to be the same fighter again, I don't believe, mm-hmm. but you're talking about years off the end of your life um, that now he, he may not be able to enjoy because of the brain uh, damage that he, 
that he took. And I know people say, oh, it's the fight game. You know, that's, that's part of it. But it is part of it to a certain point. The people that are supposed to be there for you have to have your better interest in mind. If they can only see their – if they can't see past their nose, you got to get other guys in. Yeah, and, and we saw with Deontay Wilder. He fired his corner because, you know, they stopped the fight when they had to. That was the perfect moment to stop that fight in the sixth round, I believe it was. If they would have let him go against Tyson Fury, the way he was performing that night, and the way Wilder's legs and equilibrium were off, he would probably end up like Burchell, and he would have never been the same. So now he has a chance to go back in the gym, get better. You see him on the Instagram videos working on that jab. He's looking like a real boxer now. Now he's going to be a new fighter, but he gets another day to get better. So, you know, they should have done that with Burchell, I feel like. Yeah. Well, all right, guys, Canelo this weekend is Saturday. It will be easy to catch those UFC fights, then catch that, then catch that Canelo fight. We're going to inning number seven, What is going to be our last inning. It's going to be the close coming at you. All right, guys, that is it for our episode tonight. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Before we go, we're going to we're gonna still cover a couple of things I wanted to bring up. We got Anthony Johnson over there in Bellator. Of course, he is the former UFC um, contender. He's fighting uh, Romero over there at Bellator. He says the Bellator is no joke and that they can compete with the UFC. And honestly, bro, when you see the roster they're putting together in that light heavyweight division and you see guys like Chandler come over and have the success he has and you got Pitbull over there in Bellator, I'm starting to think that, that, that Bellator is starting to catch the UFC, which I love. I love that because it's going to get the fighters pay more and it's going to bring more and, and better competition. Absolutely. I agree. You know, when, when, when your competition is bringing that type of talent in and they are putting great performances and they're looking like they are, they belong with the best of the best in the world. You know, it, it's great. It's going to be great for the UFC fighters. Like you said, you know, if, if you don't pay me, my contract is up. I can just go to Bellator and get paid over there. You know, the, the, the promotion is growing and a lot of people are starting to watch including us. So it's good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And then did you see the, uh, Daniel Cormier? Did you see his advice to, to, um, Dana White about Habib? What did he say? He said, do not stop trying to convince him. Do not stop trying to convince him. So the Habib saga is long from over. But for now, he's still retired. And uh, that's going to be it for our episode, guys. But hey, listen up. Catch those fights this weekend. Make sure you catch us next week because we got USC 259 coming. Mm. It is Saturday, March 6th. It is the best card of the year. Jan Blakowicz, Israel Adesanya, Amanda Nunez, Megan Anderson, Peter Jan, Aljamain Sterling, Islam Makachev, Drew Dober, oh. Tiago Santoff, and Alexander Rachik. You cannot possibly build a better car than what we're going to see. So we'll be here to break that down for you guys next week. We're looking forward to it. Sirius XM Podcasts.